like our new youngest drummer. Very good. <laughs> Teach them early. Wouldn't you like to know the answer to a lot of questions? What, what's going to happen at this coming election? What about our nation? What about this virus? What's going to be the outcome? Don't know that today. How about what's going on in your job? Wouldn't you like to know and understand and get it all sorted out? Maybe even retire someday, whatever that is. What about your retirement fund? Enough money to sustain you? We, we wonder about those things. What about life? And these weeks we're wondering about Grace Bible Church. What's going to happen? What's going to God, what's going to, what is God going to do through us? A pastor search. Wouldn't you just like to open the simple book of Revelation, discover how everything's going to turn out in the end? John had a vision. John saw churches as lampstands and a Christ figure walking in the middle of them. And John saw heaven and angels and elders. And the fact in, in this great book, angels, God's messengers, uh, it's found 80, 80 times. God's sharing a message with us. And John observed beasts and dragons and smoke and fire, and he witnessed a battle, massive and fierce and bloody. And John saw things past and things present and things future. In the end, John saw the end. Spoiler, we win. <laughs> John had a vision, and seven churches got mail. Someone has compared the scriptures with the book of Revelation. For instance, in the scriptures, you have the historical books, like, for instance, Joshua, that we're going through. You have books that we call an epistle, a letter of instruction, like the book of Romans. You have books uh, filled with law like Leviticus. You have songs in the Psalms. And you have wise sayings in the book of Proverbs. Well, the book of Revelation isn't like hardly any of these, and yet it contains something very similar to all of these. Revelation tells us about some historical events. It is an epistle, a letter to seven churches. In it, God talks about his covenant faithfulness. It goes back to the time of the law. He would be faithful because he made a covenant with his people. Uh, several times in the book of Revelation, uh, those scenes in heaven just break out in doxology, and songs of praise and songs of victory. And one particular verse, the book of Revelation, speaks of the wisdom that it takes to understand all these things. 
So I want to walk through the book of Revelation with you, at least part of it. We're going to go at least through chapter 3. We're going to identify these seven churches and what God had to say to them. But I'm not going to just jump to chapter 2 and start those, those seven churches, those letters. We need to look at the introduction. I realize we don't get much mail any any more these days, not through the mail. And some of us don't even know how to write letters anymore. But some of us are old enough that we used to write letters, we used to write love letters. I like to hide important things in the middle of my letters to Rosie because I knew she loved to go to the end. Frustrate her because she didn't find out what was going on until she had to go back through and read the whole thing. These letters are incredibly important to those churches and to us today, but they have an introduction. And they introduce to us such, uh, such great things. We're going to look this morning at this introduction, the first 11 verses of chapter 1. We're going to look at an amazing revelation and how, how John opens our eyes to that revelation. Second, an amazing redeemer. And then a little bit of an introduction to the vision, an amazing vision that he saw. So let's look at that amazing revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word is um, the word that we get, apocalypse. And you can use the word apocalypse to, to say, well, in, in a, there's apocalyptic language. It, it means something really <laughs> catastrophic. Um, but the other meaning of this word is simply to reveal. And so we have here a, a, a revelation, the revealing of, uh, of what is to take place. Now, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, um, let's, stay, let's say, for instance, um, Mike wrote a book on history. And so we would call that um, the, the history of Mike. Now, does that mean that's the history that he wrote for us to read? Or is that the history about Mike? Well, I want you to think of that in terms of this revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is that the revelation which Jesus Christ gave us to reveal everything that's going to happen in the future, or is it the revelation about Christ himself? The answer to that question is a resounding yes. God opens it, the, the windows for us to see the end, to see all the things that are going to take place. But when I, when I teach this, this book, when I, when I have occasion to preach through it, I love preaching it according to this first phrase, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And not too many people enjoy the way I teach Revelation. Because we normally look at Revelation, we thumb, thumb through the passage looking for, well, let's say, where's the United States going to end up in history? Aren't you interested in knowing that? And we search for those mysteries in here. I don't preach revelation that way. It's the revelation about Jesus Christ. For in uh, uh, unleashing all this, all this havoc on the earth, 
um, we find out so much about Jesus Christ. Now, we have read his story. We read of his birth. In fact, before that, we read of his um, pre-birth appearances throughout the Old Testament. We see what he came to do for us. But now we see the ultimate and what he is ultimately coming to do and will do for us. So this revelation is about Jesus and from Jesus about the end. It's revealed in, in pictures and in visions and in drama and in symbols. But it talks about God's final redemptive act. The revelation of Jesus Christ, John writes, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. When was Revelation written? Oh, about 2,000 years ago, roughly. Uh, was this a lie? Was this just a, something to tempt us to get into the book? Things which must soon take place? The word soon, we, we often use the word imminent, doesn't mean it happens real fast. Um, in fact, the apostles in the New Testament expected Jesus' coming to be soon. The word soon, we mean imminent, which means that's the next thing on God's redemptive, on his prophetic calendar. That's the next thing that will happen. Um, but every age, beginning with with Paul and Peter and all in the New Testament, they had an expectation that Jesus Christ was coming soon. Why has he not come? Well, Peter gave us the answer to that. It says, God, Peter said, God is not slow or slack concerning his promises. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why hasn't he come? He's waiting. The Old Testament, we've been going through Joshua in Sunday school and realize that God promised to Israel what we call the promised land, the land of Canaan, but he promised that to them and said, you won't go in there yet for 400 years. 400 years. The United States and George Washington figured that back at the beginning of that, what, were 230-some years old? 400 years. God is waiting perhaps to give those people an opportunity to change, and they did not. Now, God is waiting. I don't know, maybe He waited for you or for me. That we would have an opportunity to come to repentance. But God is waiting, and He has waited. But this, this word is just as uh, prevalent now and as realistic that all these things must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So um, th there's, a, there's a progression. If you read through this, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him and God gave to his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave this message to his angels. The angels gave it to John, and John now is to carry it on to the churches. There is a progression in there of this revelation. But there's also a promise in this introduction. Um, picking up halfway through verse 1, He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, 
who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw, blessed or happy, the same uh, as in the um, words to us back in the, in the book of Matthew, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophet, it's prophecy, blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Um, kind of like he's saying, read and heed. Read it and be obedient to it. It's not just simply there for our perusal to go through and say, my, those are strange pictures. Those are strange symbols. I wonder what's happening. No, it's written for us to be obedient. Um, a commentator, Grant Osborne, wrote, the purpose of Re Revelation is not merely to outline the future intervention of God, but it is here to call the saints to accountability on that basis. This is a prophetic book of warning as well as comfort to the church. Well, the last thing in this amazing revelation, that it has a purpose, and that is to reveal. It's a progression of how it came to us. It promises blessings, but to whom? Seven churches that existed in what is now Turkey, what was Asia Minor, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. And then he gives a greeting and a doxology that is just, um, I shouldn't say it's rare in Scripture. It's, it's, it's rare for us to read such lofty things. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. This amazing Redeemer, John describes, first of all, he's the author of grace. Grace to you. I, I know that we ought to just run by here because he's just saying hi, right? <laughs> this is a traditional, normal greeting. Grace to you and peace, mercy, and all that kind of stuff. He's not saying just all that kind of stuff. Grace to you. We are here today because of His grace. No other reason. We cannot, not one of us can stand here and say, I, I'm here because I chose. Yes, I had a choice to make, but God graced me, enabling me to make that choice. I have no life outside of His grace. Grace and peace. I'm, I'm still waiting to introduce those seven churches, but seven churches who were living in a very, very difficult time. Very difficult. Many of them were, were being martyred. Many of their families were being martyred before them. And so he begins this saying, grace to you and peace. It's an introduction that's kind of valid for us today, isn't it? Peace. Grace and peace from the one who is eternal. Here's how he describes him. Who is and who was and who is to come. Who is and who was and who is to come. That's an interesting phrase because it's found often um, in this book in chapter 4, uh, verse 8. Um, four living creatures in, in heaven are, 
are repeating this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Um, if I keep following through this book in chapter 11, Romans chapter 11, verse 9, um, sorry, chapter 17, again, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. There's something missing. You see, all these were who is and who was and who is to come. How come that last part was dropped off here? Who is and who was? Because he's come. That's the picture. He has come. There's no reason to say the one who has come. But for now, looking ahead, the one who is, who was, and is to come, that's, that speaks of eternity. And he is a triune God. Now, I, you and I, I we, 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 take that, we take that so for granted. that Okay, we believe in the Trinity. We, we sing songs about the Trinity. We, there are creeds that talk about the Trinity. The triune God. But I had an uncle named Don Paul who in his last days, in my father's last days, tried to convert my father to his belief in that there is no triune God. There cannot be a triune God. My dad held firm in his faith. How can there be three gods in one? I wish I could, I wish I could tell you. I could get out the egg and explain all that, but that breaks down. I could explain about water, it's ice, and it's, it's uh, water, and it's frozen, but that breaks down. God is three in one. And, and there's a picture of that here. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, God the eternal God, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, or the sevenfold spirit, referring to the spirit of God who is before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. In the next several verses, John exalts Jesus Christ. Um, this amazing Redeemer. He is the author of grace and peace. He is eternal. I, I don't know how you explain eternity or, or if you think, do you think about eternity very much? When we ask each other, do you think about eternity? All we're thinking is looking forward. Eternity. It's some, something that's going to last a long time. Eternity uh, stretches back My mind just just quits. It just shuts down. I can think way back to the to the beginning God created, but he was before that. And someone described it as eternity as vanishing point past to vanishing point future. I can start to think about eternity future because I even sing about it, right? When we've been there 10,000 years Seems like a long time. You say, oh, I don't know. I'm going to get bored playing on a harp, sitting on clouds that long. I think I'm going to be doing space travel without a spacecraft, exploring the depths of the ocean. Well, it says we're going to be praising Him all the time. Yes, in all of that, praising Him as we ought to be doing now in everything. 
the eternal one, the triune one who is Father and Son and Spirit. And now John gets caught up in describing Jesus Christ. We're still under this this fourth bullet, Jesus Christ, but we'll blow it up and we'll talk a little bit more about him, his character. Look at his character. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. And you say, okay, that's just that's just so much theology. That's fine. Let's move along. Let's move along. I want to get into Revelation. No, hold up. Hold up. He wrote this letter to seven churches. Remember, many of them being persecuted, some being put to death for their faith already. Jesus is the faithful witness. Um, from the word witness in the Greek, we get the word martyr. Um, he is a faithful one. He is a firstborn. From among the dead. Now that's kind of important to people who understood that yes, we will probably be killed too. But we will rise from the dead as did Jesus. And ruler of the kings of the earth? (laughs) There's not one king, one ruler, one president, one prime minister on this, this earth that can lift his finger to do anything except that God is sovereign over All of that. God is sovereign over the rulers. God is sovereign over the events. God is sovereign over the viruses. Please be careful. God is not the author of evil. God sometimes permits in order to bring about His will. I have an echo in here. (laughs) I love it. But he's not through. This is the this is the, the great character of God. Um, the, the second that he writes about Jesus Christ is not only his character, but his works. It's halfway through chapter, uh, uh, verse 5 there. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests, To his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. To him who loves us. I I, I sometimes, I I confess, get a little bit impatient. But I feel sorry for even believers who in moments of frustration or disaster forget the fact that God loves them. If you're here today in a place you're trust in Jesus Christ. God loves you. To him who loves us with a love that cannot fail and has freed us from our sins. What's the word for that? He redeemed us. To redeem means to buy out. He bought us out of our slavery to sin. And he has empowered us to serve. He has made us to be a kingdom. Priests I had a little kid come up to me once and call me a priest. Well, I'm not of that particular denomination. But we are all priests. Back in the Old Testament, a priest had two duties. He he brought the Word of God down to humankind and he brought the needs of the people up to God. That's our role, one with another. To encourage each other with the Scripture that comes from God and to lift each other up in prayer. We are priests to God the Father. 
And then just this this glorious appearance. Um, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him again to those seven churches. Do you suppose that was a matter of comfort, of encouragement? He's coming. Hang on. In fact, some of the some of the messages, some of the churches, you, you're going to suffer for a little while. But hang on, Jesus Christ is coming. And every eye will see him, including those who put him to death, those who pierced him. And all the tribes on the earth will wail, mourn on account of him. We failed to serve him. Even so, amen. And then John just closes this, this brief section here with this doxology. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I've entitled this message today, Doxology and Duty. Doxology is praise. Whenever we, we give praise to God, um, words, soaring words of praise and adoration just because of who God is, His, his character, His, his works, the, the fact that He is coming again. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Was, is, and is to come. Thirdly, after this announcement of this revelation and the the highlighting of this Redeemer, this person of Jesus Christ. John says, let me tell you a little bit about this, this vision. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And here they are. I've been talking about these seven churches. These are the cities in which these churches were. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. It's not the Philadelphia you know that's back east. All of these were in a a small part of um, Asia Minor. In fact, if you can see that far up here... um, this part up here that says Galatia and Cappadocia, that's modern-day Turkey. It's called Asia Minor in those parts. Clear over here is uh, Italy, uh, Greece. Back here is, is Palestine. And here were these churches. Most of them had been um, visited by the Apostle Paul, and he started churches there. So John saw a vision he was instructed to write letters to these seven churches. It is these seven churches that we are going to look at uh, and the message of each one. But, but John begins here in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. I, John. You know how many times John referred to himself in his gospel, the book of John? Zero. In fact, when he referred to himself, he he said, (laughs) that disciple that Jesus loves. 
kind of interesting. But now he's saying, I, John, I, I heard someone this re week preaching on this, and it's like John is just, God gave me this vision. I can't believe it. I, John, I'm the one he gave this vision to. Three times in this book, he, he comes to the same uh, exclamation. I, John, I'm your brother. I'm one of you. I'm a partner in the tribulation. You're not out there suffering by yourself. I'm, I'm with you in this, and I represent a lot of other brothers and sisters that are suffering with you. Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus Christ. Patient endurance, that's... that's if you're just looking at it with secular eyes, it would be kind of a joke that, he, that, that John was writing to churches that were suffering. Patient endurance. That we're part of this. And all of this is in Jesus Christ. I was on this island of Patmos, and they put me here on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. John was one of Jesus' disciples. And of the 11 that remained after Jude, Judas killed himself, the 11 that remained... Tradition tells us that, that none of them died a natural death except John. Peter, tradition tells us, was, was crucified on a cross upside down because he didn't feel himself worthy to be crucified like his Lord. Others were killed, martyred. Paul was beheaded. But it wasn't that they tried with John. Tradition says he was thrown into a cauldron of, of hot boiling oil. And somehow survived that. And now he was, he's, he's banned from them. He's in exile out on this island of Patmos. And it's on this island of Patmos. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's his way of saying I had this vision. I was worshiping God. And all of a sudden I heard this voice behind me sound like a trumpet. And says write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Verse 12, and I turned to see, and this is what I saw. And you'll have to wait till next week. I hope we get to come back next week, but if not, we'll get to it. John uses three different words uh, here. He was, he was commanded to see and to hear and to write it down. Now I want to share with you briefly that there's four four different ways of looking at the book of Revelation. One is a historicist, and that is that each church represents a certain period of church history. For instance, the book of, the, to the church of Ephesus, that we'll look at first, you've, you've, you've lost your first love. That's the apostolic church that eventually kind of waned in their love for Jesus Christ. We get down uh, number six, the church of Philadelphia. It's a it's a church of, well, it, it talks about the church in our age, in earlier years. It, it's the missionary church. You've had opportunities. You've had open doors, and you've gone through them. We get to the very last church. It's like our, we're like our church today. Wish you were hot or cold, but you're neither cold nor hot. I'm just going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's a historicist view. It's interesting. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. It's interesting. A second is a preterist view, which means 
most of this that took place in Revelation had took has taken place already. It's in the past. Most of it at A.D. 70 when Jerusalem is captured and, and all the turmoil that went on there, most of it has, ta has taken care of in the past. Now, they're still looking for the Lord's return. But he's going to return to an earth that we're just making better and better for him. Uh, some of that thinking kind of disappeared with the world wars. And world War I was a war to end all wars, and then World War II came along. And this thinking that we're getting better and better kind of vanished. I think we're thinking that again. We need reminders like what we're facing today that we're not making things better and better. And then there's the futurists, that events are still future, the end times. And then there's the idealist that, oh, these are just all nice principles for us to, to think about and, and try to live out. Oh, there is a fifth there. It's called eclectic or moderate. That says, we'll take little pieces of each one of them and we'll, we'll just kind of blend them together. I am essentially a futurist. However, in saying that, there are portions of of the book of Revelation that are not future, but are our past. It talked about a woman giving birth in the desert. We find out that is a that is a symbol of of the birth of Israel back in back in the the desert, Egypt, and going through the the desert. So, um, essentially, Revelation is a book about the community of God. There's seven letters to seven historic faith communities. As, as real as we are sitting here on the edge of Topeka, Kansas, they were sitting there in Ephesus, and Smyrna, Philadelphia. They were actual churches. They were surviving. Not too many were thriving. They were gathered under the rule of the Ancient of Days. They were an ancient and modern people experiencing ultimate fulfillment in God's promises. And they had a message that they were to live faithfully and courageously and righteously in an evil, hostile world. Is that a contemporary message? My friends, it sure is. Well, John received a, a vision and we've got mail. In other words, the book of Revelation is for us. It's not just a dusty old book that, that God wrote to um, churches that were passed. It's got a message there for me to listen and obey, to live a godly life with a last day's mentality. I believe that Jesus Christ is going to return. And of all the stuff that is written about Jesus' return, um, essentially there are two truths. Number one, Jesus Christ will return. That's a promise. And number two, the fact of His coming, the fact of His coming moves me to righteous living. I'm going to turn back just a few uh, pages to 1 John chapter 3. And John there writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself, even as He is pure. 
In other words, I pursue holiness because He is holy. What, what is John saying there? Everyone who has this hope that Christ is coming will live, will strive to live a pure, righteous life. Do we fail? We fail. That's why John also wrote, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and to forgive us our sins. But the fact of his coming should move us to righteous living now. And there are all kinds of uh, conjectures about when he will come. And Jesus said, that's not up to you. It's up to you to be about my business of reaching the world. Everybody wants to know what's ahead. The worldview I choose will impact my outlook in the future profoundly. Let's wrap up. God is triune. He is eternal. He is almighty. I challenge you with that this morning. Regurgitate it. Think about it again and again. That's the God we serve. We didn't invent a God just to come down and take care of our creature comforts. Give us a Give us a parking spot near Walmart's door. People pray for that. Sadly. God is triune. He is eternal. He is almighty. And second, He loves us. He redeemed us. He empowers us to serve. Therefore, we hear, we obey, and we worship. You know, I'm going to encourage you to do something. I'm going to encourage you that every week as we walk through here for the next several weeks, would you read through Revelation 1, 2, and 3? might take you all of 15 minutes or so each week. Uh, slow it down. We're not in a race. Read it each week for yourself. Uh, you, will, you will gain as much or more than you will gain from listening here. Just read it. In fact, if you're going to be a literalist, what did I read in here before? He who reads aloud <laughs> these words. In fact, when you get to the end of chapter 3, yeah, go on to the rest of Revelation. And don't look at it as people say, oh, I don't understand this stuff. Um, read it to understand and see Jesus Christ. Father, we want to see Jesus. Thank you for revealing him to us in these words. In this revelation, we, we see Jesus in his ultimatism, coming back as king and reigning and ruling. We get a glimpse of that. John opened the doors of heaven for us to see that. And we thank you for that. But Lord, in a very practical and personal way today, now we want to see Jesus. And when the word is to a certain church, you're lukewarm. Lord, let us evaluate that in our own lives. The word says to a certain church, you've, you've left your first love. Let us evaluate that in our own lives. The word says to a church, be faithful, hang in there. So may we. Thank you for your word. Make it clear to us. Challenge us by your spirit. Enable us to walk obediently in Christ's name.